my name's Dave. <laughs> well, welcome to our service this morning. So, again, this was years ago. My mom looked over to where I was supposed to be at the pool, didn't see me, rushed over to the side of the pool and uh, saw me at the bottom. Obviously, I was saved in time. But that was an incredibly pivotal moment of my life. And I hardly ever think about it. Because I don't remember the details. It was a second chance at life, but I don't appreciate... And I take for granted the fact that I am alive, even though things could have been so much different. As we continue to study the book of Jonah, we find Jonah in a very pivotal moment in his life, another crisis, this time a physical crisis. And to recap where we've been so far in this Uh, incredible book of the Bible, God told a man named Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites. Now, to give you some kind of context, the way I think about the Ninevites and how Jonah might have felt about them, especially coming off a week that contained the anniversary of 9-11, it seems akin to God telling one of us to go and preach to Al-Qaeda. You might be a better person than I am, but my first inclination would be to run away, which is exactly what Jonah did. Jonah runs away. He gets in a ship headed in the opposite direction, away from Nineveh, and puts the entire crew of that ship in jeopardy as God pursues this reluctant prophet with a storm. Eventually, he tells the crew, well, if you want to be saved, you're going to need to throw me overboard, which they do. And that's where we pick up our story uh, for our passage today in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, is Jonah in the water. And here's what we read. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The book of Jonah is an incredible book. It's very well written. It's very succinct. There's irony. There's humor. And there's a lot of pictures, especially in this passage that we're going to be studying, that point to Jesus and salvation from God. The author doesn't waste any time getting to the miraculous salvation of Jonah through a fish. And Jonah was there for three days and three nights. In fact, this time frame might sound familiar when we start talking about Jesus. And Jesus himself actually referred to this story and this time frame when he talked about his own death and resurrection three days later. Jonah is here in this place of death in the Mediterranean Sea, but he's not dead. And there are a lot of things that mirror Jesus' descent into death and subsequent resurrection. Then, 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice. This is the first prayer recorded in the book of Jonah. It appears from this story that Jonah was only willing to talk to God when he was drowning and realized he didn't actually want to die. Jonah also uses interesting language here. Uh, the word translated belly in verse 2 in, uh, in Hebrew is a, is a word that can also be translated womb. Right? He was in the belly or the womb of Sheol, which was the place for the dead. And to Jonah, as he was sinking in the middle of the sea, he was as good as dead. But even his choice of the word womb contains some amount of hope. Jonah is, in New Testament language, about to experience a sort of rebirth. And his language choice even seems to reflect that. He continues on, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. It's a poem. If you need a translation, he's drowning, and he realizes it, right? Flowery language, but that's what Jonah is. And he acknowledges that being cast into the sea was actually the hand of God. The men were just acting as agents of God's plan. And then he said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. This is a turning point, it seems, for Jonah, where instead of depression, instead of despair, Jonah seems to be experiencing what seems to be at least a glimmer of regret about his past decisions and even some hope. It's a picture of repentance, albeit an incomplete picture. But in poetic language, he's sinking away from God's sight. Even though by this point in the story, Jonah and every reader should know that no one is actually beyond God's sight or his reach. But this is where Jonah's sin and disobedience has led him, feeling isolated and beyond God. Yet. Do you love that word, yet? It means that something unexpected is going to happen. Yet. Yet, Jonah says, I shall again look upon your holy temple. This concept of repentance really just means to turn around. And so we have Jonah running away from God as fast as he can. And in this moment of complete and total despair, under water, it seems like Jonah is turning around to at least look towards God again instead of running away from him. As he continues on in this poem, prayer, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, I just paid 100 bucks last week to have seaweed wrapped around my head. Right? It's called a spa, Dave, and it's heavenly, and you wouldn't understand. And I wouldn't, right? Put vegetables in my eyes and seaweed around my head, mud on my body, and ask me to pay for it? Sounds like the other place instead. Anyway, I digress. What Jonah was experiencing was definitely not heavenly either, right? Jonah is imprisoned. That's what his sin did to him, both emotionally, spiritually, and now physically, In Hebrew, as in English, this word for bar can mean a couple of different things. It can mean like prison bars, and it can also mean like a sandbar. And so for Jonah, his sin means both, right? He is is going to be imprisoned on the bottom of the Mediterranean, trapped in a sandbar or mud or rock or whatever is down there at the bottom of this pit unless there is divine intervention. And there we see that word again, yet. Yet. And God saved Jonah. Right at this point, Jonah says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah remembers God at his lowest point in life, both literally and figuratively, his lowest point in life. He is at rock bottom. That's not as if Jonah forgot about God. I think we can be clear about that. Jonah knew about the Lord. He heard from the Lord. He was running away from the Lord. He told the crew on the boat that he feared the Lord, and yet at the time when his life was vanishing, he remembered, experienced the Lord in a whole new way, and I assume prayed perhaps like he had never prayed before. Now, a lot of people think that a man being swallowed by a fish is the big miracle in Jonah. And to be sure, that's pretty rare, pretty miraculous. But here's what I think. I think that is just one of, one of the miracles in the book of Jonah. You want to know, want to know what I think is another one? that Jonah's prayer reached God. Jonah's prayer reached the God of the universe. He says it came to God in his holy temple. Whether he's referring to the actual physical temple or just a representation of, of God's residence in heaven by that temple, that is amazing. Now, I know when you read through the Old Testament, even here, Jonah is talking about a temple. There's a, there's a temple, there's a sacrificial system, there are priests. And it seems like there's mediators and, and intermediaries between God and man, and yet here is a man in desperation whose prayer simply reaches God. Does that not give you hope? Hope. 
right? That, that even now, especially now, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have the ability to reach and access the God of the universe. The other men on that boat that Jonah was on were praying to their gods and idols. But Jonah knew the only source of salvation. And Jonah acknowledges that there's no love or hope of love, the kind of steadfast love or sometimes translated loving kindness that characterizes God. There's no other source for that than the living God as he's revealed himself through the Bible. It's what we long for all of our lives, and it can only be found and fulfilled in God. There's another translation, uh, the NIV, that translates verse 8 this way. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And I love, I love the word choice of that. Both translations are awesome. They're great. But I love the word choice of those that cling to worthless idols because it gives us an incredible picture, I think, Jonah understands the truth and the love of God precisely because of salvation, right? No one else, nothing else could pull him out of the pit that he was in, only God. And so he instructs his readers through this prayer that idolatry is vain, it's worthless. I don't know what you think about when we think of of idols, or idolatry, maybe worshiping a statue made of stone or something like that, and that would be a great picture too. But let me introduce one of the idols that we're very familiar with, money. And let me ask you this question. If you're drowning and you cling to an idol like this, what is going to happen to you? You're going to sink faster. That's the truth about idolatry. Oh, sure, some idols, like money, can help you drown more comfortably. (laughs) But it's the same end result. You give up hope. You give up the hope of something bigger. You give up the hope of something greater and fulfilling when you settle for idolatry, whatever that may be, money, power, relationships, Whatever it is that you say will fulfill you, unless it's through God, it's a lie. Jonah, I think, at least to some extent understands this, and at least at this point is thankful. He says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Good passage to read just before lunch, right? He's vowed something. He's promised something, a a sacrifice of sorts to communicate his thankfulness. And so at some point when he gets out of the fish, hint, hint, God, you see what he's doing there? 
He's going to sacrifice something of value in response to God saving his life. Right? This does assume that God is going to save him completely and not just keep him there in the fish. And it is kind of hard to make a sacrifice, I imagine, in a fish. But if you look at Scripture, there's a number of times when God makes it very clear that what he desires is a person's heart. What he desires is a person's obedience, even more than the sacrifices that might be offered. And in essence, I think what is happening here in some at least small fashion is that Jonah is beginning to sacrifice his will. And what I think is remarkable is that this prayer seems to be uttered inside the fish. Even if you're a huge sushi fan, I can't imagine that that is a fun place to be. But when you've hit rock bottom, it doesn't take much above rock bottom to produce thankfulness. Jonah's thankful to be in a fish because he was almost dead. Do you see how that works? That our thankfulness is dependent upon our realization of what we were saved from. I know that's kind of wordy. Let me repeat it. Our thankfulness for salvation is dependent upon our realization of what we were saved from. Jonah's been at the very bottom. And so now he can appreciate more fully life and the gift of it. And so the fish, do you notice how creatures don't seem to disobey God? The fish obeys God. Jonah ran away. But the fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. So he is saved as completely as possible in this world in a physical sense. And the question is, what is he going to do? Is he going to cling to life? Is he going to cling to the one who saved his life? Which, in fact, is the fundamental question that we need to answer and wrestle with. Will you cling to the one who gave you life, the one who can save you from your sin? My contention would be that every single person in this room, in fact, every single person in this world, either was drowning or is drowning. Do you believe this? Do you, do you realize this? If you believe in Jesus, then you're saved. You're saved from drowning. You're saved from sin. You're saved from death. You're saved from eternal death. You're saved for eternal life. Do we realize that? Do we realize what we were saved from in the consequences of sin? Because they're catastrophic those consequences, both in this life and especially in the next. 
But if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're saved. And yet, how long does it take for us to forget? How long until we begin to take that for granted? Even experiencing what Jonah experienced, if you read the rest of the book, it took him like a day after he went and obeyed God in Nineveh to forget. To forget how appreciative he was to just be alive. And his appreciation for the steadfast love of God really only extended to himself and maybe his people. How long for us? How long before the sacrifice of thanksgiving changes into something that resembles resentment or mere obligation? What gave us life to begin with now seems little uncomfortable, maybe a little weighty, constricting, awkward, maybe not fashionable. But my friends, if we're saved, we should be thankful. Not just once, all times. shouldn't be concerned about offering one burnt offering, but in fact, Scripture says our entire lives ought to be a sacrifice. The time, the money, the energy that God has given to us should all be a sacrifice and used in a way to honor God. And don't get me wrong, it's not to earn salvation. Did you notice the chronology in Jonah? God saved him from death, and then he planned a sacrifice. Our sacrifice is a response to what God has already done, not a way to earn salvation. And when I look around this room, I see a lot of people who have sacrificed. A lot. And I know it can be tempting to be tired. But as we come together as two church bodies, becoming one, my hope and prayer is that we will continue to ask the question, what next? How can our sacrifice be utilized for more salvations? Because everyone needs to be saved. Which brings us to the next group of people. If you haven't realized that you're drowning, or maybe you realize that you're drowning, but you haven't realized who it is that can actually save you from that, then my hope and prayer for you today is that this would be the day that you would realize where you would be headed without Jesus and accept his gift of life.
Every person is a sinner. And that leads us away from God by our own choosing. It's death. It's drowning. It's imprisonment. In a prison of our own making. But even as God is a righteous judge, He is also a loving Father. And so His justice is satisfied in the death of His Son Jesus, who took upon our sins on Himself and sacrificed Himself so that we could live. And as we're drowning, as we're sinking, we are invited by God to look, to look towards God and receive that gift of salvation. And if that's where you are or if you have some questions, I would invite you when the worship team comes up and the music starts, I invite you to make your way out into the hallway. Um, That's where I'm going to be. We've got a few other people who will be out there. And if you'd like to pray with someone or ask a question, I invite you to go out there. For those who have already been saved, we have an opportunity to express our gratitude for the death and resurrection of Jesus through the celebration of communion. And during the next few songs, there are tables at the front and tables at the back for you in your own time to go back and to take a piece of that bread which represents Jesus' body that was hung on a cross and to dip that in the juice that represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us as a sacrifice so we could be saved. And as you do that, would you, would you think about and meditate on what God has saved us from so we can truly appreciate what God has saved us for?